You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. All right, here we go again. Happy Monday. Hopefully, everybody had a great weekend, and hopefully for some of you, you are able to partake in this year's Shed Rally. And for those of you who don't know what Shed Rally is, Shed Rally is something that Whitetail Properties has come up with the past couple years. And it is to try to get everybody outside to do some shed hunting. And this is my second or third year that I have taken part in it. And I did it with my wife, my buddy Mark Kenyon from Wired to Hunt, uh, some of his friends, and then my buddy Ben Harshine from Huntera, who also works for uh, Whitetail Properties as well. Um, we got together on a big farm. We did a lot of shed hunting, and uh, the first part of the, the day, we didn't find too many. My wife found one, and then two other guys found one. So the first four hours of the shed hunt was three sheds, and then the next like we, we ate lunch and then we went for a walk and I'd say in the next hour we found I want to say 10 or so sheds uh, to, to uh, wind down the day I myself found two really good ones I know Mark found a really good one Ben found a giant from a couple years ago and then some of the buddies that Ben or excuse me that Mark brought found uh, quite a few as well so um, I'll tell you, it was a blast to not only get out and have a successful shed hunt, but just get out and walk. I don't know. I'm, I love like mushroom hunting and I love looking for sheds and scouting all the things that are kind of, you know, mushroom hunting obviously has nothing to do with hunting whitetails, but I like doing those kind of activities. So, and then the fact that I can share that with my wife is even even better 
because I got to include her in and uh, got our picture taken together with uh, what we found. And she actually found one of the biggest sheds that she's ever found. Uh, So that makes her happy. And when she's happy, for all you married guys, when the wife is happy, then I can be happy. So uh, Shed Rally 2018 was a success. And uh, I'm going to probably have one more weekend to actually get out and do it. And then after that, green up's going to start. And then I'm going to be shifting a little bit more towards turkey hunting and uh, do that for a weekend. And uh, then it goes right back to uh, getting mineral out for uh, trail cameras and whitetail again. So that whole circle of life kind (laughs) of is happening again. And, you know, the next thing you know, it's going to be summer. And I'm going to be training real hard for an elk hunt and running trail cameras to see what deer are still in the area. And then it's hunting season and we all know what happens from there. But that kind of leads us in what today's podcast is about. And today we are going to be talking with a gentleman named Brett Smith. And we are going to be talking specifically about run and gun hunting tactics and the gear that we use uh, to do our run and gun hunting, uh, that style or that method of uh, hunting. And it's just we get into a really in-depth, detailed conversation about it. It's something that a lot of us have to do, whether we're hunting private ground or public ground. A lot of these principles can relate to either or. So... Hopefully you guys can take away something from this podcast that you might be able to implement this upcoming year uh, to be as mobile as possible and as efficient as possible when it comes to uh, hunting whitetails in a run and gun type scenario. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. I got a runny nose all of a sudden, but. Before we get into that, I just want to say that if you haven't already taken the opportunity to go go to ripcordarrowrest.com, do it. Ripcord is a badass company. Uh, drop away rest. They are one of the best drop away rests on the market and they are made for hunters by hunters. It's an American company. So uh, please take all that into consideration. If you, if you haven't ever looked into a ripcord, you need to uh, because they're straight up a badass and the owner Keith is a Marine and he's a badass too. So take that into consideration when you're looking to buy a new arrow rest, go to ripcordarrowrest.com. Other than that, let's get into today's run and gun hunting tactics podcast with Brett Smith. All right, everybody, welcome back. Today on the podcast, I have here Mr. Brett Smith. How you doing today, Brett? Not too bad, man. How about you? You know, I can't complain. I got uh, a little shed hunting done this weekend uh, with the wife. Found uh, some little some little antlers, nothing big, and uh, and then it snowed up here again. So the ground is covered here in Iowa as we speak, and hopefully uh, it thaws out by this weekend, so I can uh, get out and do some more shed hunting. Um, you have you done any shed hunting this year? I've done a little bit, but uh, quite honestly, in the area that I'm in, it in uh, in Wisconsin, I mean, everything is so pressured. I, I feel I, I feel like I have a really hard time finding sheds. Me and my buddy were actually talking about this. You know, I, I can't really remember a time where we have found sheds. 
um, in Wisconsin, and that's why we're actually we're actually headed down to Missouri this week, and we do a little shed hunting and try and find some new properties to hunt for the upcoming season. So, gotcha. And we're going to get into all that here in a little bit more detail, and um, we'll talk a little bit more about what this particular podcast is about. But before we do get into all that, what part of Wisconsin are you from, and what do you do for a living? I'm from the Green Bay area, um, about 15 minutes out of Green Bay, a little bit to the north. Um, I work for a company called Lawson Products, so basically it's a big uh, big industrial sales company. I'm an outside sales rep, so don't actually have a home or a, like a base office, I guess you can say. We're actually located in Chicago, so I do a lot of my work from home, and uh, basically uh, that allows me to have a lot of flexibility during hunting season, um, as long as you know I'm, I'm up to date with all my stuff. I mean, like I said, uh, I'm pretty much good to go and get on the field and do my thing. So it's definitely uh, it's definitely a good thing having the job that I do. Right. So do sales your do your sales go down in October and November? You know what? I actually made the joke with my boss. Like, you can kind of expect that, you know, from time to time. But miraculously, somehow they went up. Even though <laughs> little does my boss know. I, I mean, I was. I was out in uh, Missouri for a little bit, and I mean, that first week in November, we're all spending more time in the street than anything else. So uh, somehow the, the numbers ended up pretty good uh, this December and uh, November, so I got lucky with that one. Well, now you have some brownie points with your uh, with your boss so that, you know, if uh, next year or the year after or whatever, the uh, numbers slide a little bit, you should just say, hey, man, uh, you know, last year was a money year, man. Exactly, and he, he knows what goes on it too. So I think he kind of expects it. So when I had a good year, he was uh, he was he was pretty satisfied with it. So nice, nice. So what in in that portion of the state, Green Bay area? Um, yep. You, you've already mentioned it's kind of high pre. It's a high pressure area. Do you do most of your hunting on public ground, private ground? How's that work? Um, a lot of it over the years, I've gained access to private ground, and ultimately those always seem to be my best spots. Uh, last year, I did actually, uh, I mean, I still hunt public ground, but last year I actually harvested my buck um, on public ground. Um, but it's it's kind of a, I'd say it's probably a 70% private, 30% public deal. I mean, you really got to, you got to travel, uh, I would say, at least 45 minutes away from the Green Bay area to really get away from the pressure um, just because of the population of Green Bay. I mean, it's 100,000 people. It's enough to to clog up the local woods. I mean, there's some, there's some good locations nearby, but like I said, just it's so overcrowded. You really got to travel. If you're going to, you're going to hunt the public land or find the small managed forest pieces that, you know, people put in that managed forest program and open them to the public and, and basically find them for other people too. So that's kind of my strategy. Right. So with that said, are you sharing, uh, your private ground that you have access uh, to with other hunters? Thankfully, um, for the most part, I'm not. Um, the one person that I kind of share a little bit with is actually, uh, it's a college kid. Um, I uh, I got to know his older sister I actually graduated with uh, um, quite, a, quite a ways back and uh, basically got to know their family and he's off at the college. So if he, if he does come home, I kind of offer to take him out, um, you know, and, and get him some venison and stuff like that. I mean, it's not really not really sharing, but you know, every once in a while, I'll at least have somebody else, somebody else out there. But like I said, it was a late season deal this year anyway, and I was already cranked out. So it works out pretty decent that way. Right. Right. So the question I have uh, for you then is, you know, what, what is your goal or a strategy going into each year and not, okay, not necessarily a strategy, but are you after venison? 
are you after like uh, maturity? What are you looking for every year when uh, the season comes? Well, I definitely, I mean, we get a decent amount of doe tags in, uh, in Wisconsin. You can go and buy a lot of them over the counter. So I'm, I'm definitely not against taking the does out, but ultimately I hunt to, to, to shoot the best caliber, you know, best caliber deer that I possibly can. Sometimes in this area, I mean, that might only be a three and a half year old, but you know, I strive to, to set the standards for a four and a half year old, um, you know, at least every year. And I get a couple on camera, but quite honestly, I mean, the, it, I mean, even the, the private ground is pretty well pressured. And I feel like we all kind of set our standards pretty high to begin with you. And we find ourselves, you know, getting down to the wire. And eventually sometimes I wouldn't say we settle because, I mean, everything is a trophy. But, uh, I mean, ideally, I mean, I'm going after the most mature deer that I can get my hands on. Right. Now, do you have these deer located before the season even starts with trail cameras and, like, uh, I guess nightly drives or are you the kind of guy who goes into the timber and just hopes that there is a big mature buck that comes through? I mean, for the most part, we're out, you know, doing the, doing the scouting from the road and getting trail cameras out. I mean, sometimes I get my trail cameras out, trail cameras out almost too early. It's it's like I'm getting them out there and I can hardly tell, you know, which buck is even which <laughs> just because of the whole velvet thing. I get too excited, but right, no, right. I, I definitely like to get out there and get an inventory um, but honestly, I mean, as soon as that velvet drops here, you know, as soon as September one rolls, rolls around, it's a whole nother ball game. Very few of those deer stay in those court areas for obvious reasons, you know, food sources, cleaning, testosterone, stuff like that. I mean, very rarely do a lot of those bucks stick around. Um, but if anything, they, they sometimes do come back, um, you know, during the rut is when I have, you know, seen them make another appearance. So gotcha. Gotcha. So it's not like you have, you know, I know some guys who can tell you where a buck is at on their property every day of the week because they run trail cameras and check them so often, um, right. whether that buck is nocturnal or not. Um, so it sounds like you're kind of somewhere in the middle. Definitely. I mean, I've, I've had deer that I can pretty much pin down. Whether I can get on them or not is a whole other story because you think you have them pinned down sometimes, but I... I can put, you know, a certain deer, I mean, I can almost guarantee you, I can think of one buck, you know, and uh, he ended up getting killed this year. He's about 150-inch nine-pointer. Um, I mean, he, he had a small core area, but a matter of, of getting him to move or, or finding him within that core area always seems difficult. But, uh, yeah, it's kind of a toss-up both ways. Gotcha. Now, it also, you know, you also mentioned that you go down to Missouri, uh, is, yep. is that a, a rut trip or is that what, why do you leave Wisconsin to go hunt Missouri? Well, honestly, I've never had too much luck in Wisconsin outside really the first week of November. I can pretty much pin down three days in November that I don't know why it happens this way, but I'm always going to pretty much get my kills in those couple of days. This, this year I was a couple of days outside those, you know, that November five, six, seven deal, but um, we ended up going down to uh, Missouri, me and a buddy, and we uh, we kind of did a, a you know DIY public land um, type deal, and we traveled all across northern Missouri, basically, um, just basically you know kind of getting a feel for their public land. Um, and I've, I've been down there before, but this year was our first time on public, so um, kind of just getting a feel for things. And ultimately, the quality of deer, I mean, it's it's superior to where I'm at in Wisconsin. And, uh, you know, I mean, it just makes for a lot more fun. And like I said, if I go down there, my ultimate goal this year was to, 
was the double up in Missouri and Wisconsin, which we can get to maybe later. I was about one inch away from doing it. But, uh, <laughs> um, I mean, I, was, I feel like my best odds are to be in Wisconsin for that first week. So if I can swing, you know, a Missouri trip on either side of that, that prime rut week in Wisconsin, I feel like that's my best chances of really doubling up. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes some sense, man. Now, yeah. so Wisconsin and Missouri sounds like uh, those are your states. And I take it from just you reaching out to me, uh, you prefer archery over uh, bow hunting over rifle. Definitely. I mean, if, if I, if I put a gun in my hands, it's, it's probably three, four hunts out of the year. And it's really only because, I mean, a lot of guys who hunt uh, Wisconsin and Michigan, so I, I definitely know will be able to relate to this. You know, you, you go up north and you do the, the, uh, you know, the deer hunting camp type thing. And that's just the way it is. You don't necessarily go up there to, kill deer it's more so for the camaraderie of being with the group and drinking some beers and, and telling stories type thing but uh other outside those couple days i mean it's strictly bow hunting for me and even sometimes up there i'm still rolling with a bow instead of a gun right yeah man i don't know what it is i like i haven't used a gun on in deer for it you know a, I haven't used a gun for deer hunting in like seven or eight years man i mean okay yeah in the, the time I, I did go, the last time I did go, I almost got shot during a party hunt. So I'm like, from that point on, I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm just going to yeah, stick to change, bow hunting. That, that'll change your perspective <laughs> on uh, hunting with a gun real quick. I mean, even this year, we ended up making two trips to Missouri. And my last one was during the alternative method season, um, which means a muzzleloader, pistol, whatever. And, of course, I decided, you know, I, I normally roll the bow. I'm going to keep, you know, doing it down to the wire. And, of course, when I would have brought the muzzleloader, I had a couple shots at about 70 80 yards like i could have pecked off you know pretty nice buck on two separate occasions but um i mean i'm pretty much rolling with the bow and maybe regret it a little bit that time especially because i've never killed anything with a muzzleloader it's just one of those things i've just i've always i've always kind of had it on the back of my mind but if i can carry a bow generally that's what i'm doing so absolutely now i want to get into the reason why you contacted me right and that is and that is run and gun hunting right i talk i talk a lot about a lot i talk about it a lot i'm having trouble talking today (laughs) but i uh, i talk about it a lot it's my favorite method of hunting right like i think this year i'm looking at a map now and i had like one two three four different um four different tree stands that were set in the summer and they were there Mm -hmm. you know for the rut and i hunted one of them I just hunted right. one of them. Uh, the rest were 100. You know, I was mobile the rest of the time, bouncing in and out. Killed my deer this year on a, a first time in, best time in type hunt, right? Running right. gun style. And um, you feel that that is a great method as well. So talk to me a little bit about why you have come to love this running gun technique. Honestly, I think what it really comes down to is getting into new scenery every time. I honestly feel like the first time in a new spot is always the best. And chances are I'm not going to ever, I mean, when I am running and gunning, which is 99% of the time, I'm not going to be sitting in that spot more than twice. You're kind of going balls to the wall, you know, trying to make the best move you can on a deer and uh, trying to put yourself in that right position. So basically, I mean, that's, that's kind of how I go about doing it. And, uh, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've definitely had the most success doing it. Like I said, you, you brought up you only had one or two, or you had a couple, you know, 
couple permanent stands set up, and I was the same way this year. I mean, they sound good to you, but quite honestly, when it all comes down to it, I'm generally running down them most of the time. So, Gotcha, gotcha. So over the years, and, and I want to talk to you about how many how many years ago was it that all of a sudden, you know, because for the most part, people always stop, start off in permanent tree stands, right? You you really, exactly. no one ever really, I, and I could be wrong here. I'm just going to use the law of average and, and say that a majority of the people who start hunting don't start off hunting running gun style. You know what I mean? Definitely. So, so how many years ago did you start this running gun and how long has it taken you to get extremely comfortable with this method i'd say i started probably doing it about four years ago and like you said i mean we all kind of start out in the permanent you know permanent stands and then maybe you know you kind of switch to something like a climber and you know you slowly progress into doing the running gun just because it can get you literally in any tree so i mean i've been doing it for four years and uh i mean honestly i think it's it, like I said, it puts you in the best scenario just to just to get in a new spot every single time. So, like I said, four years I've been doing it, and every day I feel like I'm still learning something new. Um, you get down a system, you know, that you start dealing with, and, and pretty soon you get good enough at it where you really don't even have to think about it. Um, and that's the ultimate goal. But uh, I mean, I feel like I still feel like I put myself in a weird position. You know, you pick that that weird tree you know every time it's like it's the only one that's perfectly you know where you need to be but it's just such an awkward tree whatever the, the case is so you have a little bit of a you know different difficulty i guess you can say every time you try and try and run and gut but I, I feel like i'm learning stuff every single uh every single time i do it but at the same time i feel like you know i'm pretty proficient at it you know where i'm at right now right so f- for the most part unless people get some positive reinforcement of some kind of change that they've made in their life they're not going to continue to do something um was changing over to a run and gun style for you instantly rewarding or did it take some time for you to start to be able to walk into the timber find the best possible tree and set up on it well that's the thing too i mean you learn to scout a lot more you gotta you gotta really get down to the nitty-gritty and 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 try and pick that perfect tree but I mean, it, it's, like I said, I mean, it, it never, you always think it's getting easier, but I mean, you, you put yourself in, in some, some crazy spots sometimes and you're just like, I don't even know why I'm in this location. But I mean, ultimately, uh, like I said, it, it puts me, I don't know, I, I just feel like having that, you know, the mobility um, of the running gun is, is probably the most, most important aspect of it because, I mean, you, you can really get in there and hone in on, on those those you know those batting areas or wherever wherever you're ultimately trying to get at right right and i guess it's taken you four years i mean you've been doing it for four years and you said that you know you're always learning something different but how many years did it take you or how many seasons or whatever or sits did it take you to get i guess not necessarily refined but comfortable I would say it takes you, uh, I mean, it took me a good year. And I, I mean, I, I try to get out quite a bit too, but like I said, there's just so many different scenarios you can put yourself in in, in order to, to really perfect the art of the running gun. I mean, you have to have a system one, but you got to put yourself in a lot of different situations, you know, in order to be able to adapt to them all. So I would say it, it took me at least that first solid year. And even into the second, I mean, you're still modifying your setup and, and learning ways that maybe you can be more efficient, a little more quiet and hopefully a little bit faster. But I mean, if I had to rank, 
you know, being quiet, efficient versus, you know, speed, I would, I would still pick being quiet and efficient, but you, you learn all those things with all the different, you know, type of scenarios. But I would say it took me a good year to, to year and a half, I would say about a season and a half almost. Gotcha. Now I want to get into the, the gear in just a little bit, but I have this question uh, I want to ask you, and it's, it's kind of a comment, but it's a question as well, where being able to do a run and gun setup from a gear standpoint is fairly easy uh, when when you think mm-hmm. about it. You can you can learn how to use the gear, and that to me that's fairly easy, right? I I can take a lone wolf and sticks. I can set it up in a tree, even if the tree's crooked. I can trim some right. lanes. I can get set up. I can you know I can refine how I wear it on my back, how I you know set it up, how I tear it down. But <laughs> the the second part of a run and gun is to know terrain, sign, travel corridors, bedding areas, you know, food sources, uh, wind direction, how terrain, like all this other stuff, right? Exactly. So does did that, I mean, talk to me a little bit about how the second part of this equation, you know, how you, how you learn the second part of this equation. Honestly, just get, getting out in the field, um, I can really say from hunting Missouri versus hunting Wisconsin, learning how you can get away with hunting certain pieces of terrain, I mean, it's a, it's a cause, I guess it's, it's almost like a trial, um, you know, a trial sort of thing. You kind of go in and you try stuff, but uh, sometimes you find out it doesn't work out. I mean, prime example, this year, there's a couple of draws I was looking to hunt um, based off of Onyx Maps, um, you know, and I, I ended up kind of getting close to them but i was hunting in these bottoms and come to find out these bottoms you know the wind swirls i mean which it should be common sense but of course you know i was kind of had tunnel vision i was like this is where i want to go i feel like it's close to a pretty good bedding area we got eyes on so i mean it, it's it's definitely a two-part system it's, it's awesome to be mobile but you still got to be able to put yourself in in the positions especially when you're hunting terrain i mean hunting terrain versus hunting flat ground i mean knowing how your thermals are going to work and all sorts of different things i mean it's a it's a it's a two-part system and i mean i really feel like in order to be you know good at one or i i guess you could say be successful overall you got to be you got to be good at one but you got to be great at the other one too so it's 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 not all just you know putting a stand on your back and going and picking a tree i mean you really you really got to know how to scout deer too i mean you don't want to be going out there walking out the stand on your back blind you know not knowing what you're getting into which sometimes on these running guns you know especially going to new states and trying public land sometimes you do but i mean that's when you, you, you do your, your online scouting and stuff like that but it's definitely a two-part system you're definitely right about that and and even this like scouting is one thing right i mean you can go in and you can you can you know whether it's before season or after season or even during the season you right. can go you can go do some scouting but you never really know what is in that area until you're actually sitting in the tree you're quiet Definitely. and you're in observation mode so right. so scouting's great but how many times have you failed and, and maybe give a specific example of maybe going in on a run and gun based off what you've learned from scouting and then failing and then making an adjustment because of that failure. That, that exact hunt that I was just talking about in Missouri. So basically um, I had this draw picked out, um, you know, I figured they'd be using it as a, as travel access or a travel route up as access up and down these ridges um, into the bottoms where, where a lot of the thicket and possible bedding was. 
Um, and basically, I, it was the first time in there. I was going just off a map. And, uh, I mean, I ended up getting a little turned around because, I mean, one, going into a place you've never been into before in, in the complete dark is is always a challenge. Two, setting up in the dark is, is a whole another whole other ball game. But I ended up um, basically setting up probably 60 yards off this draw, which in this case, the scouting, the online scouting did work out perfectly, I guess. But I ended up sitting sitting a little bit farther back because I was running out of time. And ultimately, uh, probably 20 minutes after light, sure enough, a shooter buck, you know, he, he goes up this, this draw um, and climbs up the ridge. And this is the same one that I'm talking about with the windage and thermals and stuff like that. My wind was blowing to the left side of my face going right. And he was, you know, up on my left side and he still managed to catch my wind. So like I said, I mean, it, 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 I put myself in the right position, but not necessarily knowing how to hunt that terrain. Um, definitely i mean it ultimately got me busted and that's one thing i learned too i mean hunting staying a little bit higher on those ridge tops um especially i mean if thermals are already rising in the morning i mean that's definitely a double whammy that's, that's something i should have been doing from the start so i definitely learned from it from that way i mean if i would have been just sitting on top of the ridge instead of sitting in the bottoms where the wind swirling which i thought i had a pretty good gusty wind where it, it shouldn't have swirled anyway but but it did and, and that's how it turned out so like i said if if I would have uh, kind of, you know, climbed up to the top of the ridge, uh, ultimately I probably would have been successful if everything, you know, went the way it did. Okay. So on your run and gun setup, right, You let's say scouting leads you to a specific location in a on a specific piece of property. Right. You have your stand on your back. You're getting ready to step into the timber or start your access route into, you know, to get to this uh stand location walk us through the thought process and what's kind of going through your head when you're looking for a specific tree to set up in ultimately it's just reading sign hopefully you're putting yourself in an in area where you know you can, you can get on a red line um you know stuff like that i mean ultimately you want to use the, the terrain to your benefit when accessing these spots whether you know you think there's a bedding area on one side of the ridge maybe you want to access it with the other and you know, also also focusing on what the thermals are doing and stuff like that. But I mean, every every setup is different. I try to I try to put myself in pinch points on that same one I was just talking about. I, it was a pinch basically between a really uh, really thick, uh, almost like a sapling thicket, like uh, popple slashings, and uh, the base of the hill, and then a creek that ran through it. So ultimately, if I can if I can you know narrow down on those those trails close to bedding areas um, that really pinch those deer down and give them minimal routes. I mean, that's ultimately what I'm looking for. You know, the, the perfect tree, um, you know, in those locations, which when I say the perfect tree, it's, it's more so the location of the tree other than, uh, you know, the tree itself, because I put myself in some very crooked trees. And that's another thing about these running guns. I mean, you have the adjustable, the adjustable, um, you know, the, the platforms with, with the muddies or the lone wolves and, those those setups really allow you to get in some of the most crooked trees possible. So it's it's more about the location than the tree itself. But that's that's basically how I go about doing it. Gotcha. All right. Now, on a side note, everybody has their kind of preferences, right? I am Definitely. a I am a guy who likes river bottom ground, uh, right? Maybe somewhere all, along a creek or like a man made 
where a man-made pinch point meets a natural pinch point. And I'll, I'll just describe real quick one of my favorite stand locations. It is a... It is a cattle pasture with a fence that comes into the timber, right? And then a big bend in a creek that gets real steep on one end, and it forces all these deer to come through this one, I'd say, 100-yard pinch, you know, in between two big properties. And a lot of deer come through that every year, all times a day. Do you have a specific... Or, or a preference in terrain or, I guess, tree stand location when you're looking to do a run and gun? Ultimately, I want to put myself in some sort of pinch or funnel. Um, I mean, if I can have a little bit of structure as far as terrain goes, you know, just, just knowing that maybe a deer is going to bed up on this ridge just against the vantage point or whatever the case might be, you know, if I can get myself close to those locations, that's always ideal. But when I, you know, in, in the situations that I find myself in, a lot of times, it's high pressure and ultimately what I'm trying to do is either use other people's hunting pressure to, to basically manipulate how those, how those deer are going to move and ultimately choose my spot or just get away from where I think, um, you know, the, the other hunters are all, all together because sometimes, I mean, all the time, really, I mean, when it comes down to hunting high pressure ground, you're not hunting the deer, you're hunting the people. And basically if you can get away with those people, you're, you're basically going to be more likely to at least get your eyes on some, some mature deer. So, so is that is that something that you you really try to focus on when you're going into a? I get I guess what I'm saying is go into more detail about that because I do the same thing on the properties where I hunt. Where if I know a guy's in a tree stand, I know his wind's probably not he. I know he's probably not as anal retentive as me when it comes to his, exactly. his setup. So right. talk to talk to me about what you specifically do when you find out there's another hunter in the area. Prime example, actually where I shot my buck this year. Um, so, so kind of picture this. So the next 40 over, there's a ridge. And I know for a fact that I've been on the property that all these deer bet on this ridge. It, it's a vantage point. Um, and basically the way that this hunter would set himself up he'd be blowing these deer out on our predominant wind i mean 90 percent of the time so what i did is i kind of set myself up where if i figured there was deer on this ridge they'd circle around and on this particular location there's these man-made ponds that were put in by the dnr a long time ago and basically along the edge of these ponds there's probably i would say 15 yards of of just grass and then woods so it's it's easy route for these deer to walk and ultimately i mean it's kind of a it's kind of a pinch having those ponds there so that's actually how my setup worked out this year and sure enough um i ended up after i didn't harvest my buck i noticed that the guy was actually in there and sure enough the deer that i killed circled around kind of like i thought and i just so happened to be in the right pinch you know for the for the way that he ended up um, you know, kind of forcing those deer off that all, that, uh, that that big ridge. So it ended up working out for me there. So like I said, ultimately, if I can get in some sort of pinch, that just happened to be, you know, that pinch or funnel in that, that particular location. But that's that's the ultimate goal every time right. for me. Okay. Now I kind of want to transition to gear uh, just a little bit here. And, you know, Guys have been killing big deer doing run and gun with less stuff than than we're using today, right? So, right. so right. you know, I think I think that if you're if you can locate deer 
and set up on them and kill, you know, I think that's awesome and you don't necessarily need some of this gear, but at the same time, I think some of this gear that we use really helps make it easier, right? I would definitely agree. I mean, like, I mean, if you think about it, you're really trying to, like I said earlier, on um, getting down into like where these deer are betting so that hopefully maybe you're getting within 100, 200 yards from them. And if you don't have the right gear, you know, you don't have, you know, something that's going to keep you quiet, ultimately getting in there, well, that hunt's blown before it even starts. So, I mean, I definitely think it's it's important to have the right gear. Right, right. So talk to me about your gear, how you use it. Basically, describe your run-and-gun setup. Definitely. So I have a lone wolf setup that I use sometimes. Honestly, as far as modifications go to that setup, it's a pretty bulletproof setup. I mean, I think they've done a great job with with how uh, um, you know how they came up with everything there. The only thing is, is basically what I do. I'm cheap when it comes to you know making the the adjustments and the upgrades. So when that stand folds down, I'll, I'll tie a little bit of rope down. So when it hits metal on metal, that thing's dead silent. But the other the other setup that I am using, I'm using the Muddy Vantage, and I think they might have made some uh, some modifications that kind of changed it. And I think it might be called the Vantage Point now, but the original one was the same color as the uh, the Lone Wolf, but I find myself using that uh, the muddy a little bit more um, for whatever reason. I guess I don't know. I just maybe it's you know the closest thing to the truck when I when I go. But that setup's a little bit different. I made some modifications, you know, to make it personal to me. Um, you know, whether it's just you know taping stuff up or whatever it is. The thing that's different about that um, that tree stand versus the lone wolf is the lone wolf has that easy hang system. Well, the, the muddy has like a bracket that you put on the, the actual tree. And the first thing I did, there's a ratchet strap that comes along with that. Completely ditched the ratchet strap, and I took um, with the lone wolf strap that you put around the tree and you know hooked back to the stand, and I ran that through there, so I could basically just cinch it down by hand and not worry about um, you know the extra noise of ratcheting something. I mean, that's definitely not something you want to be doing when you're running a gun and you're trying to be quiet and as, as efficient as you possibly can. Um, another thing, I mean, just just strapping down my stuff. Basically, I'll, what I'll do is I'll I'll put those sticks on that stand and I'll run three bungee cords over the top of that, um, so it keeps everything pretty much in place. And then I can actually, um, you know, I take like a rope and I'll run that up and down throughout the thing. So it's actually all one piece, um, and that makes it really easy to, you know, if you, if you got a long track in, especially late season, you know, put some gear in there or whatever. Um, you know, that that definitely helps packing a little extra stuff. So. Those are those are a couple of the things that I definitely do. But the one thing I think that's that's really uh, a game changer for me is is using something like almost like a holster, and, or uh, you know using your uh, your uh, tree harness as a holster so that you can get all the way up in that tree in in one shot. So what what I basically mean is taking those those you know, I'll put the the first stick up, and then I'm putting those next two sticks in in, in a holster which I I can either use two ropes. Um, on each hip or I'm putting it right in my harness and I can go up. I got my bow attached on my left side um, and I can go up and I can get it all done in one shot. So ultimately I can get in that tree pretty darn quick. And I would say that's probably the most, most important thing. I mean, if you don't have to make those extra trips back down to the ground, that's, that's definitely, I mean, you're, you're saving time and, and definitely there's a better chance you're not going to make as much noise. So that's definitely, I would say the main thing that I'm doing. Okay. What's, that really changes up the game. What's so you're using muddy sticks too? Yeah, so so I got the muddy sticks and honestly that is one thing I do prefer. Um 
compared to the lone wolf ones, just because the lone wolf ones, at least the ones that I have, I'm not sure if they had different ones, but they're staggered. It's every other step. When you go to the top of the tree, especially for the guys who are learning how to run and gun, you want to have as much stabilization as you possibly can. Yeah. So to, to be up there and be on two feet instead of one while setting up your setup, I mean, I, I think that's a big game changer also. Okay. Now, does the mud, does the muddy allow you to sit vertical in a crooked tree? Yeah, so that one that one adjusts. I think it has like four four adjustment points for it. You know, if that tree's crooked or whatever, you can kind of do the same thing um, as you can with a with a lone wolf too. Gotcha. Okay. So, how do you go? I mean, so you, your goal is one time up the tree, right? You Definitely. you got your system worked out where it's you know you got your sticks on your hips, you got your rope tied to your bow, you're setting up, you set the tree stand up, you pull your uh, you know, you pull your bow up and you're good to go, right? Yep. Okay. Now, how do you carry all of your gear into the woods? Because that's a big thing that I think people, you know, fr- from a from efficiency standpoint, and this is something that I personally had, a, like, I learned a lot of trial by error, trying to find the best system that works for me, whether you put your pack on, then you put your stand on, or you put your stand on, then you put your pack on and how you, so basically when you get to the tree, you're not taking stuff off and setting it down and then having to put it back on going up, coming down. You know what I mean? Definitely. And that the one thing I can say right away is using a fanny pack is a game changer when it comes to that. I mean, you put your straps in, in that front pocket, keep them accessible and and that's the easiest way to to minimize movement um and everything like that so i mean that's that's another big thing so basically what i do when i get to the base of the tree i'm getting out there uh, i'm setting that bow down on my left side and i'm taking off my stand and i'm putting that on my right side so when i'm when i'm climbing up the tree chances are i'm trying to get that that tree stand most times I, i want to be on the left side of the tree so um, when I put my bow down on the left side, it allows me to not get tangled up when I ultimately attach my rope and, and pull that thing up. So, like I said, I'll set that stand down on my right side, take the bungees off. I'll grab that first stick. And another, another little hack that I've also kind of picked up on using is just taking a peg sometimes. Sometimes you want to get a little bit higher. I only have three sticks. So instead of t- packing in or, or not even packing in, more so just spending the extra money because a lot of the, the big name you know tree stand companies, they'll sell you the three sticks, but to buy the fourth one, it's a little more expensive. So what I do is I'll just take a tree peg maybe sometimes if I want to get up a little bit higher, screw that in the bottom. And then, uh, like I said, I'll attach that next stick. And as soon as I get that first stick on, um, basically on the tree, I'm, uh, I'm putting you know my two sticks in my holsters or, or, or my harness, whatever I'm, whatever I'm rolling with that day. And that stand goes back on my back. And another thing I always make sure is I make sure the seat of that stand is down because I've gone up um, and I've had it where the, the actual seat is up and it falls down and makes noise. So you got to make sure you got gravity on your side when you're doing that. But like I said, I'll get up there. Um, I'll attach that bracket, which I've got, I've got all taped up with duct tape just so there's no metal on metal contact. Set that sucker in there and, and I'm pretty much good to go. And even as far as a bow hanger, I mean, just being efficient. Um, I, I, I only carry a couple things out to the woods. I got my Ozonics, I got a tree saw and I got, um, a long like bow hanger. And that's actually what I hang my Ozonics on. It allows it to get it up, get it out in front of me a little bit. And I think ultimately it might work better. Maybe not. I don't know. But one thing that I do do is I have, it's, it's a bow hanger. Um, and it's shaped like a U and it stays right on the base of your stand. You clamp it right on there. So that's just one less thing that you have to worry about trying to put up when you, uh, you know, when you get up in the tree, because as soon as you get up there, you can just, you know, slap that 
that bow into that little hanger on the side. And it's like a U shape, like I said. So you just slide that sucker in there and you can, you know, get, get the rest of your gear situated quick and, and it ultimately just makes you more efficient and you're ready to hunt a lot faster. Gotcha. So do you have, do you have a backpack? Uh, talk to me a little, I guess a little bit about your clothing system too, because you probably, when it's 30, you know, 30 degrees out, it's below freezing. You're probably not wearing all of your clothes walking into the stand, right? No, definitely. So like I said, I mean, I'll, I'll, uh, I, I use mostly, I, I kind of upgraded to the sick of your stuff right now, but that's the one thing that's nice about packing it in with that webbing system that I'm talking about with those bungee cords. Um, if I can do that, I mean, that's, that's the best case scenario, but I've also tied, um, those extra garments to my bow when I pull them up. I, I've used the, uh, the backpacks and I, I actually kind of switched halfway through this year. I was using the backpack before, but it's just so, so bulky. And when you pull that, that pack up with your bow and it's just a lot of weight to be pulling up with the string and i i hate to see the day where my string frays and i don't notice it and, and i drop all that stuff with the extra weight on there so ultimately if i can have that fanny pack with like i said the three four you know essentials in my in my pack versus bringing a whole backpack with the stuff that's that's the route that i i prefer so what about like grunt calls and rattling antlers and um, I don't know, let's say if you're in for an all day sit or something like that, like snacks and water, all that goes in your fanny pack. I have a decent sized fanny pack. I actually have the, uh, it's the Tenzing TX, uh, 7.2 is the name of it. That's pretty good size, but I mean, you know, stuff like gun tubes, I can generally get that in there. But if I, if I'm, if I'm wanting to, uh, you know, put the snacks in and everything like that for an all day sit, I would definitely be pushing it on, uh, you know, on space, but it's ultimately stuff I just would try to try and sneak in pockets. Um, that is the nice thing about the, the some of the fifty gear stuff. I mean, you got that that extra pouch, and I, I have a couple layers with that pouch with the vest and and you know the hoodie and stuff like that. So I can sneak stuff in there if I really needed to. But like I said, if I can get by with just taking the essentials out there with my fanny pack, it just makes it a hell of a lot easier, a lot less bulky. And chances are you're going to make a lot less noise versus carrying a pack out. So where do you keep your Ozonics then? In your fanny pack as well? It's it's like I said, I just have the perfect size uh, fanny pack where it actually fits right in there, okay. and I, it's actually got a little pouch of itself, kind of like like you have on a sweatshirt, um, in the back of the fanny pack. So I can take that that longer bow hanger that I actually hang the Ozonics on. It's it's one of those kind of folds down. It's probably if I if I you know unfold it totally, it's probably I don't know eighteen inches long. And basically on that hook on the end, that, that U-shaped hook, I slide that Ozonix unit on there, and it kind of allows it to, one, be really mobile, two, get it away from the tree and let it overhang me a little bit and kind of kind of work hopefully a little bit better. But, yeah, I mean, I can get my Ozonix in there. I'm trying to think. Like I said, I got my Ozonix in there, my tree saw, that extra bow hanger I can slide in there, and it takes up next to no room. And I can also get that, uh, that um, you know, my safety rope up in there, too. So it, it's a decent-sized fanny pack. And I, quite honestly, I would say getting a big fanny pack would be a better option than, than using a backpack, in, in my opinion. It, it works best for me. Like I said, everybody's got their own system. This is just what works for me. Right. You know, you, you saying that makes me want to switch. I'll be honest with you. It, it, it's, it's worth a try. You got you got to give it a shot at least. So, how do you attach your? Do you attach your sticks to your stand, or do you carry your sticks separate, like sticks in one hand, bow in the other hand? So that when I'm when I'm climbing the tree, or when I'm walking in, just when you're walking in. When I'm walking in, like I said, I got those sticks on the back of the stand, and that's when I use that bungee cord system, and I pull it 
pull three bungee cords over and, and attach it back to the stand. So those three sticks are always on my back. The only time that stand comes off my back is just to to take those bungee cords off quick and get that first stick up. And then, uh, like I said, I put those those other two sticks in those holsters and I climb up and go. So I always have everything on my back. And technically, with having that fanny pack around my waist, I have an extra hand at all times. I carry my bow in my, you know either hand, and I always have an extra hand then. Gotcha. All right. So then, you know, for for some people. Set, you know, learning how to do this in the daylight is difficult, but doing it in the dark on a morning hunt, you know, whole nother ball game. is a whole nother ball game. Whole and, nother ball game. And I do, you know, like I very rarely do a run and gun hunt on, in the mornings because of that specific reason where no matter what, unless you are just great seeing in the dark or, you know, just through muscle memory, I guess. You know, I I like to do my running gun in the evening. I set I set up, and then I'll come back to that same stand if the wind allows me the next morning. Okay, right. Uh, and that's that's kind of the system that I run throughout the entire season. So the next the next the next evening hunt, I'll set up, leave everything in the tree. You know, come back. You know, you know, for some people, obviously on public ground, you don't want to do that. But on right. in, on some. Uh, locations that I feel very comfortable with, I'll leave my bow in the in the tree. I, I leave my you know all my hangers in the tree, my stand up, and I'll just take my my pack down with me and then come back the more in the morning in my Ozonics as well. I'm not leaving that in right. the tree. So so give us some tips on how to do you know be the most efficient morning running gun. Honestly, by doing it at night and learning the system first. I mean, I would never recommend to anybody to go learn how to run and gun in the dark. It's going to end up just a complete mess. Getting the muscle memory, knowing step-by-step what you have to do next is the biggest thing. I mean, like I said, it's a pretty simple system ultimately. Like, I'm taking my bow, I'm setting it on my left side, put that stand on my right, and, uh, you know, putting that stick on, and I'm, I'm grabbing everything and I'm going again. So, I mean, as long as you have a decent headlamp, which I always use a red light. I don't know. If, I mean, a lot of guys, you know, they kind of go back and forth whether or not if you can see the white light or not. I mean, I got a decent red light on my head, um, you know, that I got. And uh, I basically, I mean, it, it, it's it's one of those things you just got to do it enough. It's like learning to run and gun, you know, by itself. I mean, you have to learn it. You have to learn the system before you try and take it to the next step. And trust me, I mean, I, I've learned the hard way doing it in the morning. And even after doing it for quite some time, I mean, there's certain things that just, when you can't see it, it makes it a hell of a lot harder. So ultimately, you just got to do it enough. And it becomes easier in the morning. I'll never say it's it's easier altogether, but it does come easier than than you know than what it, what it basically started off as, which is pretty difficult, especially your first couple times doing it in the dark. But like I said, when we we go into Missouri and we're hunting public land, I mean you're not going to waste the hunt by you know just either sleeping in or right. maybe the wind changes or you really right. you really busted in there the night before and you can't go back, you know. So that's that's always something if, if you can get good at doing it in the morning. I, I mean I'd always recommend it. Okay. Now, is there any other modifications um, or alterations that you make to either your gear or your clothing to make running and gunning more efficient for you? As far as clothing goes, I mean, it's it's pretty pretty standard stuff. I mean, I'm not really doing anything too crazy. And when it comes to customizing the gear, I, mean, I know there's a couple companies that sell certain 
trips to this and that, that ultimately, I mean, it just makes things a lot quieter. But if I can, if I can just go and get some duct tape on some stuff so I can prevent metal on metal contact, I'm really not doing anything too crazy. Like I said, the, the one thing that I did switch with that muddy bracket is I put that lone wolf strap through it and got rid of that ratchet strap. Um, and like I said, the holster idea, I, if, if you want to be, you know, as efficient as you possibly can, I think it's a good idea. You got to have something that can try and get you up in the tree in, in, in one, one trip. I mean, sometimes it's not doable. I understand that, especially depending on what you're rolling with, but that's why I kind of equipped myself with the stuff that I did so, so that I could do that every single time. So having those holsters, you know, on each side, you could flip those sticks and start climbing. Um, that I would definitely, definitely say that's a, that's a pretty big one too. Right. Right. Okay. So talk to me. I, I want you to give me your best run and gun memory. Oh, best run and gun memory. I've got a couple of them. Um, me and my nephew, I got my nephew on his first decent buck this year. Um, the one stand we had to run and gun with, but the other one that's really coming to mind is actually this year. And it's kind of funny how it worked out. Um, so I kind of told the earlier portion of the story, how the, how the deer came in and stuff, but getting into that tree, that tree was so crooked when I sat down and if I held my phone up and you know, I had the camera on me, the tree was actually not behind me. It was that crooked. <laughs> if I would lean, if I would lean back, my head would not even be on the tree. That's how crooked it was. Right. And of course it was in the perfect location, but just tons of branches of pine tree to, to trim. And I'm glad, obviously, I sat in that location, but, I mean, it was just a complete pain. And another thing, just from a safety aspect, I mean, I, 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 I joke about it now. It could have been a lot worse, but I got that first stick up, and I got on the very top of the stick. And I, when, when, I, um, when I took the, the strap and I put it around that knob, I didn't get it around the knob all the way. So I'm on the top rung of that, that first stick, and if it doesn't give out from under me, I landed on my feet. I landed fine. It wasn't very high at all. But I'm like, you know, I'm sweating my butt off right now, cutting all these branches, getting in the most crooked tree. I get up there and I'm like, there's no way. I, I mean, I made this much noise and uh, I mean, I, there's there's no chance. And lo and behold, this buck, he uh, he comes in. Well, I saw him from about 300 yards out and he comes in. I grunted him in. One of the few times that grunting works, works for me because just, you know, the high pressure, I don't do it unless it's a last resort. And he wasn't coming in and I got him to come in with it. And, uh, this this portion of the story I'm not too proud of, but he came in at 12 yards and I botched it. I mean, I hit him, I hit him back. Yeah. And he uh, he ran off and he got to about 60 yards and he stood there. And at this point, he was standing there for 10 minutes and I'm contemplating him. I, I shoot out pretty far. I was, I'm pretty pretty comfortable shooting with my bow and it was never a shot that I would ever take in any other circumstance. Um, but I calmed myself down. It was almost like I was shooting a target. I knew that deer was dead and I said it to myself. I said just. Just make a clean kill because ultimately that's what you want to do as a bow hunter. You don't want to, you don't want to have those bad shots, but they do happen. And I was just trying to prevent that animal from suffering any longer than I had to. And I ten ringed him in here in sixty yards, and I watched him tip over. So all because of a running gun, I put myself in the right position. Um, and without it, I, I I wouldn't have I wouldn't have had that memory. So I mean, that was definitely one of the one of the freshest ones that come to mind. Nice, that's awesome, man. <laughs> I am. Uh... I'm look. I'm at your Facebook page, right? And I see yep. the latest picture. Was this the buck that you shot this last year? Yeah, that was that was this year, November first. That's the one I got. Man, that body is freaking gigantic. 
And you know how many people have asked me what it weighed, and for whatever reason, I, I never did weigh him. But I remember trying to hang him up, like, by myself. And I'm, I'm a decent-sized guy, so I tried to bear hug the thing. And said, no way. No way. Not yeah. not even possible. I, I mean, it took a couple of us to get the sucker up. He's definitely the biggest body here that, I, that I've ever taken. So, I mean, he... The, the antlers are one thing, but the body was more impressive, you know, than anything else for yeah. me. It was, it was it was definitely a big one. I shot one deer that weighed, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna say one deer that weighed 300 pounds. It was a 300 pound whitetail, and it looked like that. Right? It was it was gigantic. And it's funny because the picture underneath of it is you riding a bull. So you you do yep. some, you do some rodeo. Yeah, I dabble with it. One of my buddies, he. uh he gets into it pretty serious, and he's talked me into doing it a couple times. So, uh, so I've hopped on a couple, but uh, the adrenaline still. Uh, I mean, it's quite the adrenaline rush, but I'll, I'll stick with the, with the bow hunt. It's a, it's a little bit safer. Well, I, t- I tell you that that buck you shot is just as big as uh, as that bull you're riding. That's about it. I should just start riding white tails and then not riding bulls. <laughs> oh, that story would make its rounds. Jumping out of the tree stands on them or something. <laughs> hey, man, well, I, I tell you what, I, I really appreciate you taking time to hop on and uh, talk to us about your running gun style. No problem. I just uh, I hope it can kind of, you know, help out some of those new guys or, or even some of the guys who have been doing it for a while and maybe maybe to make some modifications that ultimately just – just make sure they're, they're running gun setup go a little bit more smooth and, and get out there and have success ultimately. And there you have it, another podcast in the books. Huge shout out to Brett for coming on the podcast and talking running gun hunting tactics with us, man. Really appreciate it. And on a personal level, I really like having conversations with other other guys who hunt similar to the way I hunt. So huge shout out to you, Brett. Huge shout out to each and every one of you for taking time to come on the podcast and download it and listen to it and click it and like it and share it and all that other stuff that goes along with it. Please, please, please spread the word about the Sportsman's Nation, right? We have the big game uh, RSS feed that's up and running. We have the whitetail. You know, you've been listening to the whitetail now for a while, but share it with your friends. We have just got a collection of great podcasts that's full of awesome content. So listen more, share, tell your friends, be interactive with us. Go to the Facebook pages ask question you know ask questions get uh, others involved and uh, that's what we're here for so um, whether you're you know you listen to the down you know the uh, uh, southern ground hunting podcast or you're listening to land and legacy and you have a question for those guys reach out to any one of the people who put out the podcast on the sportsman's nation and i i guarantee you they will answer your questions so Uh, Just a little food for thought there. Other than that, huge shout out to all the partners of the podcast. Ripcord, Exodus, Bighorn Outfitters, Lone Wolf, Ozonics, Gearhead, and Wasp. Please go out and support those companies because they support this podcast. And if you've listened long enough, man, almost all of them have discount codes. So uh, take advantage of those as well. Other than that, follow us on Facebook and Instagram, not only on Nine Finger Chronicles, but on the Sportsman's Nation as well. And go leave a review on iTunes if you're so inclined. And other than that, ladies and gentlemen, if you're going to be in a tree doing something, please wear your damn safety harness. Have a good week.